All right, everybody. It's your congregation at prayer at hand. The psalm that we'll pray responsively by half verse is 145 out of the hymnal. Psalm 145. We'll use Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 as an antiphon before and after the psalm. And our hymn is 791. I want to, uh, you are invited to come earlier and join us for chapel on Thursdays with the Blessed Sacraments. That's 8.30 to 9.15-ish or so. And then you, you're here in plenty of time. So. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I will extol you, my God and King, Every day I will bless you. And praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. And shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. And shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. And tell of your power. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. And the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. The Lord is faithful in all his words. And kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling. And raises up all who are bowed down. 
The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Our God and King, we will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and speak of the might of your awesome acts. Your kingdom is everlasting and your dominion endures throughout all generations. You are near to all who call upon you. You preserve all who love you. I will forever praise your holy name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Psalm 145, a couple of comments. In case... um, you didn't realize it, this is a portion of this psalm was used in Luther's small catechism asking a blessing. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord, you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Another thing I wanted to point out, um, verse 14 says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. We were praying that as Bob here was carefully taking his seat as he recovers from broken ribs from a fall. Um, But notice what it says. It doesn't say that you won't fall, but it says the Lord upholds those who fall, okay? So uh, you fell, but the Lord upheld you. You didn't didn't renounce your faith, okay? Uh, So the preservation spoken of in this psalm is chiefly about the preservation of faith in the midst of suffering, hardship, and so forth. And also the acknowledgement that Every moment of every light of every day of our lives is a gift. Uh, every every breath that we take, the food that we enjoy. Um, I thought this was very insightful. I've stopped. See, wanting rain so much throughout this summer, looking anxiously upon the weather app. I was. What's that? Well, we're supposed to get rain. It's 80%. And then Beth will respond, but it will fall apart before it gets to us. And invariably, she's more correct than the weather app, you know. 
Uh, yet we know all of these things with certainty about global climate change. But we can't even predict the weather, you know, five hours from now. So I, I didn't, you didn't look either, did you, yesterday? I didn't look, I've stopped, it's, stop looking at the weather app and wake up this morning to over two and a half inches of glorious rain fell throughout the night. So that's the new model. Just the eyes of all look to you, O Lord. You give them their, in this case, rain at the proper time. All right. What's that? The weatherman did say we were going to get rain last night. Well, good, but I didn't listen. I don't watch, I don't watch the uh, TV news or weather, so I don't get the privilege of seeing all of the political ads that you're watching, because I know those whom I'm voting for, I don't need the ads. <laughs> okay, um, let's move on to the catechism. I've been trying to emphasize with the kids, um, they're a little sleepy yet in the morning, that we look at the, the Ten Commandments so often in the negative only. The Catechism helps us see that there is a negative prohibition, but there's also a positive exhortation in the commandment of what we are to do. So um, we are not to have other gods, there's the negative, but we are to fear, love, and trust in the only true and living God. There's the positive. You know, we're not to curse swear, use satanic arts, or lie or deceive by God's name, but we are to call upon his name in every trouble. We are to pray to him, we are to praise him, and we are to give thanks to him. Even for the hardship and adversity, because so often the hardship and adversity serves God's good and gracious purposes. Not that I have anyone in mind. Okay? So... Yeah, I know, I just... So... Uh, in the first commandment, the positive thing God is essentially saying, boil it all down, trust me. Now, bear, keep that in mind when I show you some of the Isaiah material that's the background for our Matthew study today. Trust me, first commandment, trust me. I made you. I created you. I called you by name, Mark, in the waters of holy baptism. You are mine. I have baptized you. I have forgiven you your sin. You stand righteous before me. What harm can sin and death then do? The true God now abides with you. Let hell and Satan rage and chafe. Christ is your brother. You are safe. Trust me. See, created, redeemed, and sanctified you by my word and spirit. I mean, you cannot lose then, can you? You can't lose. Okay, trust me. So when we see it in the negative, we only, then it becomes such a drag. Okay? The very faith that, that's Bonnie's language from her generation, you know, a drag becomes such a drag. I saw you smiling. She uses it all the time with her cronies at Sussex Mill, you know. Oh, this is such a drag. No. Uh, but we need to see it in the positive. Okay? So also then in the second commandment, you boil it all down, pray to me. Call upon me. You're suffering, pray to me. You're joyful, pray to me. You're in anguish of heart, pray to me. Praise me, give thanks, I will sustain you. See, the first and the second commandments go together. Out of the trust of the heart, we call upon God, we pray. So trust me, first commandment, pray to me, second commandment. They go together. Now, we don't have the capacity to trust. 
Our prayers falter, like we heard in the narrative reading this morning. Jesus trusted in his Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it be possible, let the cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And then he came to the disciples. What? You could not watch and pray? And of course the answer is no, we couldn't. We didn't have the strength. So here's the good news. What the law demands, the gospel gives. What the law demands, the gospel creates. So the faith that we are incapable of by our own reason or strength, third article explanation, the Holy Spirit gives by the gospel. Okay? So there's how the law and the gospel come together. Okay? Which is why the commandments are always showing us our sin and how much we need our Savior, that through his gospel we might trust in him and pray to him. See how it all holds together. So, with that in mind, we'll meditate on the catechism. What is the first commandment? What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Let us pray. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the only true and living God. Forgive us our sins against the first commandment. Strengthen us by your grace to fear, love, and trust in you above all things. In your holy name we pray. Amen. What is the second commandment? You shall not the name of the Lord your what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. Again, let us pray. Blessed Lord, we are not to misuse your holy name by cursing, swearing, using satanic arts, lying or deceiving others. Forgive us our sins against the second commandment. Teach us by your word and spirit to call upon you in every trouble, to pray, praise, and give thanks to you at all times. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Again, let us pray. O God, you declare your almighty power above all in showing mercy and pity. Mercifully grant us such a measure of your grace that we may obtain your gracious promises and be made partakers of your heavenly treasures. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we pray for the church and her pastors, for teachers, deacons, deaconesses, and other church workers, for missionaries and for all who serve the church, for fruitful and salutary use of the blessed sacrament of Christ's body and blood among us, for Ashley, Wesley, Lance, Jack, Esther, Sarah, and June celebrating baptismal birthdays this week that they may be preserved steadfast in the peace of Christ, for Jim and Shirley, Mark and Pam, Tom and Nancy celebrating wedding anniversaries, that the love of Christ that they have received will continue to strengthen them to be faithful to each other. For Debbie as she recovers from hernia surgery, Karen who is hospitalized, Jan who recovers at home and deals with chronic lung issues, Bob as he continues to heal from a fall, Reverend Shane Coda, recovering from open-heart bypass surgery. Heather, Barbara, and Josiah, receiving cancer treatment. And Bernice, in hospice care. 
Uphold all with your free grace and spirit. Restore to them the joy of your salvation. Remember them as we pray the prayer our Savior taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And before we sing hymn 791, I, if you were following along in the congregation at prayer, I'm trying to give you an example of how you can make use of it. So I use the catechism prayer after each recitation of a commandment, commandment recitation and then the prayer, <coughs> commandment rec recitation and the prayer. And then I use the collect for the week of the 10th Sunday after Trinity. But rather than ending it, went on to the daily themes for prayer, saying, Lord God, Heavenly Father, we pray for when uh, Thursday, the church and her pastors and so forth, and then continued on with praying for in our prayers this week listed below, and concluding then with the Lord's Prayer that collects, if you will, all of those petitions together. So I, I, I'm restoring the daily themes for prayer uh, to the congregation of prayer. It's in the hymnal, but putting it here for ease of use and adding that little opening sentence, Lord God, Heavenly Father, we pray, and, and you can use that rhythm and develop that, that habit. Okay? And then as you noted, you know, I was a, free to then expand a little bit, add a little bit within the, the structure of, of that uh, pattern. Hymn 791. The tune is Old Hundredth. It's a long meter hymn, one of the great just solid hymn tunes. Uh, so many long meter uh, texts make use of this. Uh, the most familiar is probably the common doxology, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. All people that on earth do dwell Sing to the Lord with cheerful voice Him said with mirth his praise forth tell Come ye before him and rejoice Know that the Lord is God indeed. Without our aid he did us make. We are his folk, he doth us feed. And for his sheep he doth us take. Oh, 
enter then his gates with praise. Approach with joy his courts unto. Praise Lord and bless his name always. For it is seemly so to do. For why the Lord our God is good, his mercy is forever sure, his truth at all times firmly stood, and shall from age to age Son and Holy Ghost, the God whom heaven and earth adore, from us and from the angel host, be praised from glory and I believe this is the original text for this hymn that is called the tune name Old Hundredth because it's a paraphrase of Psalm 100. So if you look at Psalm 100 and you look at the text of this hymn, you see it's the psalm. Okay? All right. So there we have that. Any comments or questions? Angela. In Christian freedom... We, um, we uh, didn't. So I, I always resist, do we have to, you know? Do we have to genuflect, Mark? We don't have to, but it's a nice thing to do, showing reverence for the body and blood of Christ. Do we have to stand? No. Do you see? I don't want to make Bob stand any more than he has to, you know? So, and if you're in church and... The, the triangle is a doxological stanza. The, our custom is to stand, typically, especially in the divine service. But if you're infirm or if you have cracked ribs, please just stay seated. <laughs> because by the time you stand, it's already time to sit again anyway. But. All right. Uh, we are in um, Matthew 12. And um, if you want to turn to Matthew 12 and then also... Uh, turn to Isaiah 42, so you have both of those at hand. Continuing to emphasize this theme that what the apostles were witnessing and what those Jews were witnessing that experienced Jesus' ministry was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures and the expectation of what Messiah would do, uh, including bringing about justice, righteousness for the Gentiles or for the nations. So the idea that the righteousness of the Messiah 
would be the salvation of the Gentiles is all throughout the Old Testament, and Isaiah preaches it beautifully over and over again. In Isaiah's prophecy, does anyone know how the Messiah is often referred to? I mean, we, we can think of familiar passages like at Christmas, these wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But there, there is, a, he is referred to in a pattern of language throughout Isaiah. What's that? The Lord is good, uh, which can be referring to God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. But he is referred to as Lord. That is good. So you've got the eternal God of the promise of salvation. Diane. Servant. Servant, yeah. Uh, With, in the genitive, my servant. Mm -hmm. So the reference to the Father saying, behold, my servant. And um, did you look at... Chapter 42 at the beginning to no, see. I oh, well, oh, you just came up with that. Okay, good. And so he is, he's, he is portrayed as the Lord's servant or the Father's servant throughout. Okay. And, uh, but George's reference to Lord is very important because in the New Testament, Jesus Christus Kyrios, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord is always referring to to I am, Yahweh, the eternal God of the promise of salvation, okay? But my servant. And in Isaiah's prophecy, what does the Lord's servant do? The Lord's servant saves. The Lord's servant comforts. The Lord's servant suffers for his people. The Lord's servant gathers his people together. The Lord's servant gathers the nations together. The Lord's servant does justice for the oppressed. The Lord's servant establishes righteousness. Okay? All of that is the work of salvation. So when Jesus' ministry takes place, he is praying and he's referring to his father who said in Isaiah, my servant in whom I delight. You know, and he is doing the things that the Lord's servant said he would do. Again, so that's uh, continuing that theme we've been talking about, how what the apostles and the Jews were witnessing in Jesus' ministry was the fulfillment of the very incarnation of what the Old Testament proclaimed Messiah would be and do. Does that make sense? So in chapter 12, verse 15, when Jesus knew it, He withdrew from there. A great multitudes followed him. You know, they're trying to kill him. And he healed them all. And all of that's spoken of in Isaiah. Remember at the beginning of of chapter 11, the disciples of John the Baptist were told by Jesus, go and tell John what you hear and see. So he healed them all and he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. You see, that's verse 18 of Matthew chapter 12. You see the father speaking of his son. You see he's called my servant by the father. He is called my beloved in whom my soul 
my being is well pleased. You think of the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved son, the son of my love. Paul talks about that in Colossians, the son of his love in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I will put my spirit upon him. You see the Trinitarian uh, language here. The father speaks, behold my servant. The son is the servant of the father. And the Holy Spirit anoints him at his baptism with the Holy Spirit. Okay. So the holy and ever-blessed Trinity is all over the Old Testament. I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. Now, the declaring of justice, proclamation of justice, the related word to justice is righteousness. Okay, so the, he will preach justice. He will preach righteousness. In Isaiah, the proclaiming of justice, the preaching of righteousness, refers to what? The cross. There you go. Very good. Trying to help you out here. Because in the cross is where the father's servant did justice. What the law demanded, the suffering servant, in faithful obedience to the Father, suffered. Okay? So, this is the justice that Isaiah is talking about. This is the justice, the righteousness, that the servant of Yahweh, the Lord, is proclaiming. That's why the people were thronging to him. By the authority of his justice the righteousness of his suffering and death, he heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He raises the dead. Because remember what we talked about last week. What is, you know, all of these maladies that Jesus cured, what was the greatest malady which was the source of them all? Sin. sin. So by the justice of the cross that makes atonement for sin, payment for sin, he does justice. And by the proclamation of that justice and righteousness, he distributes that salvation to others. That's why they thronged about him. It is not when he proclaims justice or when he proclaims righteousness. He is not thrusting us back upon our own works, according to the law. When he does justice and proclaims righteousness, he is proclaiming the forgiveness of his cross and he has the authority to do so. Remember, all authority at the end of Matthew's gospel has been given to me in heaven and on earth to forgive sin. And out of that, to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to give eternal salvation. Okay? So that's the economy of what the servant of the Lord does by his word and the Holy Spirit. All right, so uh, he will declare justice to the Gentiles. What a stunning thing. That's in the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. You see the missionary fervor here? God desires all to be saved. Not just the Jews, but all nations. Mark. Yeah, I was struck by this this morning uh, because the word Gentiles comes up again another verse or two later. Mm -hmm. Wow, well, okay, well, here it is. Here's this, this gospel to the Jews that's filled with references to the Gentiles coming in. Remember at the beginning of the gospel, the Magi are the ones who come and worship him. Whereas 
the chief priests and the elders of the people in Jerusalem are afraid. Okay, see how these are turned upside down. And a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. This is a reference to how, no matter how spiritually weak and paltry a person is, he doesn't stamp it out like you'd, you'd, you'd uh, you know, stomp on a smoldering cigarette butt. But rather, he fans the flame of that faith. Okay? They're coming to him, Lord have mercy. And he doesn't respond to them, yeah, but you should have been at church for all of these many years and you weren't. Instead, he rejoices and he forgives their sin and he fans the flame. A, a, a flickering wick he will not quench. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. Till he sends forth justice. That sending forth of just, justice is parallel to the end of verse 18. He will declare justice. In verse 21, and his name, in his name, Gentiles will trust. And so in the book of Acts, for example, you've got the beggar for, in the temple. You know, alms, alms for the poor. And Peter and John come in. Silver and gold we do not have, but in the name. In the name of Jesus. Rise up. And he's healed and he rises up and he walks. The name. See, in his name, Gentiles will trust. In the Old Testament, where was the name of Yahweh for the salvation of his people placed? The, the location. Anybody? The tabernacle. That's right. The Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, and then later the temple. That was the place of the name of Yahweh. Okay? Holiness to the Lord was the, 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 the like, uh, um, bandana uh, of the turban of the high priest, you know, holiness to the Lord, okay, where I have placed my name. That, that's why when we come into the divine service, you know, we begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, okay. So in his name, the Gentiles will trust. All right, now, you still have Isaiah handy? We'll come back to Matthew chapter 12. But go to Isaiah chapter 42. And you see, behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect or chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Do you see? That's exactly what Matthew quoted in chapter 12. But I want to show you, and then it's all the way through verse 4. This morning's second reading, or today's second reading from the congregation at prayer, uh, is from Isaiah 43, the next chapter. Um, and this whole section of Isaiah is beautiful. Okay. Let me highlight a few things. After chapter 42, verses 1 through 4, quoted by Matthew, verse 5, 
Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. There's the word again. And will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. So here in verse 6, the Lord is saying he has called us in the righteousness of his son to be his people. What a sweet and comforting assertion and passage that is. I will hold your hand. The, the Lord who has created all things, who has spread out the tapestry of the universe, who holds all things together, I hold your hand. Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, a light to the Gentiles. Now, speaking to the Jewish congregation, the congregation of Israel, I'm going to give you as a light to the Gentiles. It would be as if he were saying, oh, you white people of Peace Lutheran Church, Sussex, I'm going to give you as a light to the nations, to the people of Milwaukee, of every color of skin and background and nation and race. And how is it that we could be a light to anybody? Only insofar as the light of Christ and his righteousness is that which we confess and preach and live from. Uh, this verse 6 here. Remember the words of Simeon. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. You know, my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles, the nations. And the glory of thy people Israel is not what they have accomplished by the works of the law, but the glory of God's people Israel is to them was given the prophets, to them was given Christ, who establishes righteousness and justice for the nations. That's the glory of Israel. Hallelujah, we have the Messiah for all people. Okay. To open blind eyes, ah, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will, give to an, I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. Now notice how I open the blind eyes, I bring out the prisoners. Remember Jesus' words in chapter 11 to the disciples of John. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind see, and so on and so forth, and the prisoners are set free. All right. Um, I'll skip over this to verse 18. Hear, you deaf. Hear. Look, you blind, that you may see. Now, there is real physical, uh, there is real physical deafness, right? There's real physical blindness. But here, the primary reference is to spiritual deafness and spiritual blindness. Anyone who relies upon 
themselves for righteousness and for salvation is deaf to the message of the scriptures, is blind to the truth. So hear, you deaf. Look, you blind, that you may see who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is blind as he who is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant? What in the world is he talking about? How can now suddenly this servant of the Lord... We've been talking about the servant of the Lord as the son of the Father. How can he be deaf? How can he be blind? It's a wonderful, crazy way of talking about this, but does he hear any voice but the Father's voice? Does he hear any other voice but the Father's voice? No. He's deaf to all other voices. Does he see any other will but the Father's will? No, he's blind to everything else. And you see that this morning in, if it be possible, let the cup pass from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. And with ears singularly fixed upon the Father's voice and eyes singularly fixed upon the Father's will, he goes to the cross as the Father's servant and establishes justice, righteousness, by his death upon the cross. Uh, all right, then go to verse uh, chapter 43. Now, this is from today's reading. And how lovely it is that it corresponds with themes from the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Trust me. And from the second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Pray to me. Call upon me. Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Redemption is another word that's all over the book of Isaiah. Redemption is a word that is all over the Torah, the books of Moses, particularly with the divine service that the Lord established. For by the shedding of blood, he redeemed. Uh, his people were enslaved to sin, as we were enslaved to sin, death, and the devil. But by the blood of his servant, we are redeemed and set free. The prisoners are set free. So fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Remember, I used those words with Pastor Canopy earlier. I said, Mark, you are mine. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. That's baptismal, as in our baptism by the name of the triune God, we are joined to Christ's death and resurrection, and we belong to him. That is amazingly powerful to learn to know that and to believe it and to trust in that reality. So then, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Now notice, it doesn't say that there will not be adversity in the images of waters and rivers and fire and so forth. It's saying just the opposite. It's just saying the opposite. There will be those things but I will uphold you, I will sustain you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 
And that was where the reading went for today. And then uh, verse 10. Uh, but I'm going to, the, the reading today was at verse 10. But go to verse 8 above it. Bring out the blind people who have eyes and the deaf who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let him bring out their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, it is truth. Just, I love this. Anybody who says, you know, the Old Testament people believed that only Israel would be saved. To the extent that Old Testament people believed that, that was a false faith. What the Lord declared in the Old Testament is that the Old Testament people were chosen for the sake of the salvation of all people and that the Lord's suffering servant was sent for all. So he says, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. Now this returns to where our reading was today. And my servant whom I have chosen, there's the servant reference again, that you may know and believe. Notice how the Lord is emphasizing certainty. So anybody who says that, or any theology that says you cannot be certain of your salvation or of your relationship with God, that flies in the face of a passage like this, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord. I am he. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And then go to verse 25, which we concluded in the second reading in the congregation at prayer. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Not for your sake does he blot out your transgressions, but for his own sake. Or you can read this, on account of my sake, not on account of your sake or what you have done. So what, is it, what, is, what it is extolling is that the blotting out of transgression is on the basis of the Lord's work, uh, the work of the servant who has redeemed. So that gives certainty. If it's on the basis of my works, have I done enough? And of course the answer is no, never. But he has. His is sufficient. His work upon the cross. His suffering and death. And this um, continues then. Let's verse chapter 44. Verse 2. Uh, Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you or save you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Verse 3, look at this baptismal language. I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants. 
that's you and me, and my blessing on your offspring. For the true descendants of Israel are not of the bloodline of Abraham, but of faith in the Lord's servant. I am the Lord. Verse 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Notice the, um, the, in verse 6 here, again, the reference to the Father and the Son in that language. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, God the Father, and his Redeemer, God the Son, who is also called Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. All of these passages in these, uh, the 40s of Isaiah, I became extremely familiar with when I was 16 years old. Working in Wyoming in, as a busboy first and then a waiter uh, at the Silver Spur restaurant that my brother managed. And the restaurant owned the house in town, a couple of blocks away from the restaurant, for many of the male workers who were there for the summer to live. And there were 12 of us. And in that house, of the 12, eight were staunch Mormon boys, earning money for their two-year mission work. And as I've reported to some of you in the past, it's the first time I ever pulled what later became known in college as all-nighters. And I spent all of my tip money on buying <coughs> books at the Christian bookstore, like the Kingdom of the Cults and so forth. But Mormonism is polytheistic. Did you know that? That means Mormon, Mormon theology believes that there are many gods. They do not believe in the, in the Trinity that there is one God in three persons. They believe that there are many gods. And you plumb the depths of Mormon theology, and they believe that every male is progressing toward deification and will become a god. In fact, Adam, in Mormon theology, um, is in their theology actually God the Father who has ascended to become God and has his own planet with his harem of wives. Okay? And, that's, and so every Mormon male is aspiring to godhood. Okay? Well, that's false theology. Um, but these passages, you know, like, you are my witnesses, I am the Lord, Beside me, there is no God. So you can believe in polytheism if you want, but any other God but the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is a false God. It's a lie. And certainly, you might make a God out of yourself, but you are not the God who created all things out of nothing and who sustains all things, nor are you the God who saves. Okay. Um, and you can see this all throughout chapter 44, verse 21, middle of the verse. I have formed you. You are my servant. Okay. And um, chapter 45, verse 15. Truly you are God who hide yourself. 
O God of Israel, the Savior. From those who reject him. Verse 18. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. Don't tell the population control people that. (laughs) I am the Lord and there is no other. The end of verse 19. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. So the justification of the sinner before God. Verse 21 at the end. There is no other God besides me, a just, righteous God and Savior. There is none beside me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. And Paul talks about this in Philippians when he says of the Son of God, that he became obedient and took upon himself the form of a servant. And being in the likeness of sinful man, he was obedient even to the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and on under the earth should bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christus Curious, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. That's the declaration of righteousness, to be justified. Um, So, This theme continues, but I'm going to advance uh, quickly to, uh, oh, there's so much, chapter 49 and so forth, you know, the uh, My Servant Song here, right? Um, And so you you can meditate upon all of that. Um. Skip to the end of verse of chapter fifty-two, verse thirteen. Yep, Isaiah fifty-two, chapter fifty-two, verse thirteen. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, wisely. He shall be exalted and be extolled and be very high. Now, Isaiah is speaking, just as many were astonished at you, or the Lord is speaking to Isaiah. People are astonished at Isaiah. Maybe he had some deformity, I don't know. So his visage, that is to say, the appearance of the servant of Yahweh was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. When I saw The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. I thought of this verse. His visage was marred more than any man. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Now it's a difficult word, but I think sprinkle is correct 
because he sprinkles the nations with his blood. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what, had not been, for what they had not been told they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He shall grow up, this servant, before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, that would be you know, splendor or stately appearance. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, this servant a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Oh, who can look upon this? <clears throat> he was despised and we did not esteem him. We didn't value him. Because what, what good can come out of this crucifixion? So what the disciples struggled with, it's part of the reason why they were told, don't say anything about these things yet, because you're not ready. Because while they recognized in Jesus works of healing and restoration, he's the Messiah. The connection that they were not yet able to make was that the source of that salvation was in the suffering and the death of Christ. So that you have the Emmaus disciples on Easter afternoon when they meet Jesus and their eyes are prevented from recognizing him. They said, we had hoped he would be the redeemer of Israel. But he got crucified. Oh my, that's how he redeemed. So they hadn't made that, that connection yet. So we did not esteem him. So when what he, he does what he does alone with no help from the disciples, no help from anyone. He is deaf to any other voice. He is blind to any other will. He is singularly focused on the Father's will and on the Father's voice, even though he experiences the Father's wrath. Still he trusts, Psalm 22. So surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. Now that verb there in verse 5 is exactly the same verb as in Genesis 3.15 where the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head or authority. So he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace that established our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Mm -hmm. Notice the blessed exchange. He takes our place. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we can go on and read that. We hear the rest of it all the way through the end of the chapter on Good Friday. All right. So I do want to come back to uh, Isaiah, I mean, uh, uh, Matthew's gospel, but I wanted to, it's taken you to this extended look at a section of Isaiah where the Son of God is extolled as the Father's servant. 
And he is faithful and obedient unto death, even the death upon the cross. And by that, he establishes justice, righteousness. Um, All right, I'll pause here. See if you can have a drink. Do you have a, a comment or a question? Sue. I believe so. Um, uh, They talk about the prophets of old longing to see what the apostles saw. Okay, and then when Jesus did his work, those who who had proclaimed, the prophets who had proclaimed, then it says of them, they sought and were glad. So uh, I believe that, that through the eyes of faith and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, upon men like Isaiah. Um, He was able to foretell these things and to proclaim this righteousness. I mean, look at what he's, every Christmas Eve we hear, you know, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will rest upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So I, I, I do believe that, I mean, he, when, when he prophesies this Isaiah 53 um, about his suffering and his death, I think men like that knew. And I certainly, even you take Abraham, it took took, uh, probably, I don't know how old Isaac was in chapter 18 or uh, when he was called to sacrifice him, uh, when Abraham was called to sacrifice him. But we know that it was 25 years before Isaac was born. And Isaac in chapter 18 is big enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice on Mount Moriah, which is probably Jerusalem. Chapter 22, isn't it? Uh, chapter 22, thank you. Chapter 18 is the, uh, the visitor, the three visitors. So chapter 22. Um, so how old was he? Do you know? 10, 12, whatever, which would put, which would put um, maybe 12, since that becomes the transition age into adulthood, you know, I don't know. but. At the very least, Abraham, this is 35 years or so after his initial call to faith. And he tells his servants, we, he and Isaac, will go yonder and worship. He's called to sacrifice his son. And then he says, and we will come back to you. Did did Abraham know that the son of the promise would be crucified? That that would be the means of his death? Probably not. But he did know salvation would come through the son of the promise. And if the son of the promise is killed, then he will rise from the dead because he must. And that's what the apostle says in Hebrews 11 that he believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead, which he did in a figurative sense as he was spared from death and the ram was caught in the thicket 
and sacrificed in the place of Isaac. So there are revelations like this where they, Old Testament prophets and patriarchs, begin to make unbelievable connections. Mark. When you, were, when you were mentioning earlier about how the Lord sees only the Father, hears only the Father, it reminded me of uh, the Rubelov icon of the Holy Trinity, the Old Testament Trinity, where you look at that and, and all three persons are just looking equally. Just turn off the PA right now. Not there, not there, just out there. Just turn it off. Just turn it off. Yeah. Just turn it off. So that reminded me of the, the, the ruble of icon, how you know the, the three persons depicted there are looking at each other, you know, just with a laser-like focus. Yeah. yeah. They 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 absolutely perfectly share the same will. They absolutely and perfectly share the same nature of self-giving sacrificial love. There's no, you know, there's no rivalry or competition among the persons of the Trinity. Yeah. So, good. And then spending time in Isaiah this morning reminded me of a brief article I read the other day in Touchstone. And it was called uh, Living in Acts 29. And it was, re it was re uh, maybe it's me. Uh, but the author, Don, Don Williams, was uh, talking about the last words in uh, the book of Acts. And honestly, I had to go back and look. And they're from Isaiah. Yes. Yeah. And so he, he kind of plays on that and says, we are all living in Acts 29. And what he means by that is it's the following verses. It's the following verses of uh, the call of Isaiah, where Isaiah then, well, then the Lord says to I. The Lord then says to Isaiah, you know, we have this beautiful call of Isaiah, but then in the, in the Sunday lectionary, we seldom hear the following verses, which are, well, you're going to go to this stiff-necked people yeah. who will not hear, who will not see, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, it's, it's um, I'll just read it for you from Isaiah, uh, from Acts. It's from Isaiah uh, chapter 6. You know, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their eyes are hard of hearing, their eyes, uh, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart, and turn, so that I should heal them. That's the end of the quotation. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. You know, and then at the end, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding Paul to do that. So that, yeah. that Acts 29 corresponds like precisely with what this section in Isaiah was that we're going through. And what we're living Good. Now. What, pardon me? And what we're living now. Oh, sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. So next week when we gather together... Um, we will uh, go then into this, you know, St. Uh, Matthew quotes Abraham Lincoln. Um, 
A house divided against itself cannot stand. Did you know that? Yeah. So Matthew said, hey, that's, that's good. We'll, we'll put it in here in the gospel. No. Actually, it's the other way around, you know, that uh, Abraham Lincoln got it from Jesus and uh, who said a house divided cannot stand. So we will see in the face next week of this faithful servant of Yahweh the opposition from the kingdom of darkness uh, in, in Satan and in his kingdom's work to destroy faith. Okay, so the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.